Welcome to Growing Pains, a business podcast for entrepreneurs and their teams who find themselves in the growth phase or messy middle in between startup and aiming for six or seven figures and beyond. I'm your host, Laurie Sterling, a COO, coach and mentor. I both do what I teach and teach what I do with a passion for empathetic team leadership, business operations and all things entrepreneurship. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Today, I have a guest interview with Leonie Dawson. Leonie is a globally best-selling author of the Brilliant Year Goal Workbooks that are used by half a million people worldwide. She is an award-winning entrepreneur who has created over 13 million in 10 hours a week, which is amazing. Leonie is the founder of the Brilliant Biz and Life Academy, which teaches thousands how to create a joyful, abundant business. Welcome, Leonie. Thank you for coming up today. How are you? Oh, babes, Laurie, it's so good to be here. Bloody bonza. <laughs> Wonderful. Love it. Obviously, you're Australian like me. We have a connection, but we haven't technically officially met until today. We're both in Tash Corbin's heart-centered community, and I have actually interviewed your OBM before, Zeta, recently on this podcast. So there's a connection. Oh, that's right. And me and Zeta, I said to Zeta afterwards, like, I am going to make sure that I say the exact opposite of what you oh, said. Just perfect. make it look like it's just an absolute chaos workplace where nobody knows what they're doing. Well, I'm pretty sure that's what she said. <laughs> oh, okay. Good, 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 good. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. So please tell me what do you do and like, who do you serve? Who do you help in your business? Sure. I'm somebody who doesn't niche. I don't really take the time to specify just because, you know, I've read about it and it just didn't seem that fun. So instead, what I do is I just create and I share and then whoever's attracted to that, good on them. And then some people are going to be super repulsed by my personality. Also, good on them. And that's kind of just the red velvet rope of my business. When it boils down to it. It's usually, you know, it's mostly women and non-binary folk who end up in my space. Sometimes a very stray, straight man turns up and we're like, what are you doing here? <laughs> but yeah, often they're people who are interested in business, who have their own business, who are thinking of starting one or growing one. I like to help those kind of groovy people, usually they're left-leaning, they're usually kind of hippie-ish. Yeah, that works for me. Yeah, so you still have a pretty good idea of who your audience is, even though it's not a specific niche in an industry or something like that. Yeah, I do. I think, but I have only know that information because that's who turned up. Ah, I got it. You know, it, it's just, you know, 20 years on of creating and I'm like, oh, that's who turned up to the party. Okay, cool. Nice, nice. So how long have you been doing this for? So I started selling online in 2002 and so it was pre-social media. I was in on message boards and things like that and I would just share my art and stories on message boards because that's what I love to do. I just love creating and I love sharing. Amazing. And then people will go, oh, can I buy an artwork? And I'd be like, oh, somebody's going to pay me money for something I love to do. Yeah. It felt like the greatest rort of all time. And so I started a blog in 2004 and you know created my website not long after that. 
and just started playing around really like how I could make money with this whole online business thing. And so I was working for the Australian government at that time. And so I I kept my job while I was doing that exploration phase. And I think it's something that I always recommend is like, have a job to be the early investor in your business so you can have time to mess about and see what works for you and see what you love doing. And it removes a whole bunch of the stress from it. So I didn't end up leaving that job till 2010. I would just reduce my hours down as I felt comfortable. So in terms of money, I think it was 2008 that I was like, right, I need to get serious. I need to make some freaking money with this business because I want to do it, you know, full time. And I committed to making $30,000 in the next year from it. And I honestly did not know how on earth to do that. Like I'm not a born business or marketing person whatsoever. It's not something that I was, it's not what I did as a kid. It's, It's not me. I'm just a dreamer, just a floaty dreamer at heart. It was something I really wanted. And so I was like, right, okay, I need to learn everything about business and marketing and how other people have done it. And then I'll implement it into my business and see what works. And so I did. And that first year, I did $30,000 a year. And then I doubled to $60,000. And then I think it was, I think it might have gone up $150,000, $300,000, $500,000. I think we got stuck around the 800,000 for a year instead of a pure double. So I've been hanging out, like I've been on average seven figures since 2014 now. At one point, I grew so large that I needed a large team. Like I had 25, 30 people. We brought in nearly $3 million a year, but I hated having a large team. Hated, hated, hated it. So I streamlined my business right back and simplified it. So I like just to have my core team. So I like to have like one part-time assistant. I've got two at the moment, Mm -hmm. um, two part-time. They do 25 hours a week combined. And that for me is perfection on a stick. So yeah, I hang out around the the million dollar a year mark now. And it's just a thing of beauty, really. I love it. And so it started out what selling art online. And then what is it now? What does that look like? Yeah, like I tried out all different things. So I was running, like I was selling art online, but I was also like running creativity workshops in person and running spiritual retreats. And I designed t-shirts and I did tarot card readings. Like I tried out all the things in my business and I loved all of it. It was so much fun. And then it was 2008 was definitely a, a changing year for me because I was running all these creative workshops in person and my people on my blog were like, this is amazing. I so wish you would come here. And I remember my best friend calling me and saying, oh my God, did you see that Susie Blue is running e something called e-courses now? And Susie Blue was a, a, an artist. I'm not sure she still is, but she was the first person that we knew of that would to run an online course. And I was like, you can teach online? What the? Like, it was so like 2008. We were just, it was the birth of the dinosaurs, you know? We we're like, there's the sun, there's e courses. It was so funny, so funny. Yeah. And so I immediately converted my 
creative workshops into an e-course and I thought, I'll give that a go. So I came out with the Creative Goddess workshop and as soon as I did that, I knew like, oh, this is, this is the thing. This is what I really want to keep doing. I love this. And so when you had like the 3 million, a whole massive team, how many hours were you working a week back then? Oh, yeah. So like I've always really only worked 10 hours a week because I was working part-time in the public service. Like I was working in the public service and then I didn't leave until I had a baby and children take time, which is quite unfortunate, but it is what it is. Nature of the beast. Oh, it's a joke. <laughs> I just want to be clear about that. I really wanted to be a present mom. And so I didn't want to have outside care apart from me and my husband. So we really committed to being present parents. That being said, when I had the team, I noticed that I had to work more hours. And I think that's the the great assumption is that like, oh, if you have more team, then you'll work less hours. And that's just not the case because then you're managing all the team and there are more dramas and things. So I think my hours crept up to about 20, 25 hours at that point. And that nearly killed me. Yeah. I just want to be real. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. I, like as a person, like I have autism, I have ADHD. I had a two-year-old at the time. And I also have a syndrome, which means my bones dislocate quite easily. So I can't sit for long periods of time. So my bone, like my lumbar disc prolapse and stuff just for doing the wrong posture. So I need to be really careful about how much time I spend working. Otherwise, that'll happen. So 25 hours a week was completely unsustainable for me and really made me burn out. Yeah. So you must have had a drop of income in that time, but was it like easy to adjust after that? So, well, when you have a large team, your profit margins change incredibly. So you have these huge costs that you didn't have otherwise. So I think our our salary list was like, you know, it was $800,000 a year at that point. Yeah. And we were also printing the gold workbooks ourselves at that point, which is about a half a million dollar print run. Mm-hmm. So those are some really big costs, you know. And so when I decided like, oh, I need to start streamlining, I knew that we may get like a revenue drop, but it wouldn't necessarily mean that the profit the company profit would change. And so, you know, I managed to get the company back to like 85% profit levels, which is what I'm much happier with. Yeah, that's fantastic. All right. So when did you need to make your first OBM hire? What was the tipping point for you? Oh, for me, I've always found because I run such a weird business and quite streamlined, is that there's a real crossover between kind of my right-hand VA and my OBM. And so I have gone many years without an OBM, but just having like just a right-hand VA, you know, just somebody, you know, gets it done. And I'm trying to think about who would have been my first OBM. I think it was just like a blurring of the lines that like my first VA was with me for years and years and I would fly her from America to Australia to do planning events and stuff with me. So I think that would have been classed more as an OBM, but it was so long ago. I don't think we even have the language for OBM back then. Because again, dinosaurs. So this would have been like I hired her as a VA in 2008. She flew over to Australia like 2012-ish. So yeah. 
Yeah. So what was the catalyst for you from going from six figures to seven figures in your business? Ooh, there's definitely like a a money, like a, a con- you have to do like a concerted effort to push up over it, mm-hmm. I found. For me, as a hippie, usually that means that I have to look at all of my money blocks. I have to do the energetic work. So like Denise Duffield Thomas and then doing, you know, actual like one-to-one kinesiology or energy healing work. So I worked with Kerry Rowett and Hira Boga. And really, I just had to look at all the money fears that I had and also like, who am I to earn a million dollars a year? And I'm now earning more than anybody in my family, anybody who in my ancestry at all, you know, that stuff tends to be the most useful. Otherwise, it's not that different practically, I think, from just continuing to grow your business. That's great. So what advice would you give an entrepreneur who wants to hire their first OBM or, or sort of that integrator role? Just not necessarily need to apply for anybody else. But for me, I, for me, it's a personality hire, first and foremost. They have to get along with me. They have to, and I don't like keeping things impersonal. So every OBM that I've worked with, we have a close connection. They become one of, you know, my closest friends because at sometimes I'm going to go through difficult parts or burnout or freaking out or whatever. And I, would like to be able to talk to my OBM about that because they're also behind the scenes and seeing me at my worst and they can see my patterns and they can go, oh, hey, Leonie, remember you were feeling this way back then and that was because you did this? Like, do you think we might be able to fix it the same way? Like, I appreciate that level of accountability. So I love that. For me, as somebody who is neurodivergent, I now only hire people who are neurodivergent because I don't understand neurotypical people. (laughs) We have different communication styles. So it works so much better for me to only hire the neurodivergents. Amazing. I It's funny. I think I've told this story before on the podcast, but as an operations expert and also with ADHD, I found that those two ideas really like, at first they conflicted with each other. Like I'm supposed to be super organized person and, you know, on top of operations. And I had to like from a child, not knowing, you know, at that age, but I sort of built these systems and rules and, and habits, I think in my life that if I just stick to it, then things work out. And then, so that was the basis of how I ended up in this industry altogether was because of yeah being neurodivergent and I didn't even know it. Exactly. Exactly. Like when you have somebody who is managing their ADHD, we are the most organized buggers on the planet because like we know that we're going to forget stuff. So the organization must be. And I just had somebody ask me like, oh, but you're, you've got ADHD. Therefore, you would need somebody who's not ADHD on your team in order to get it done. I said, incorrect. We just build systems to support us. So everything we do is in Asana, you know, with the recurring tasks, all that kind of stuff. And everything has a Loom video attached to it so that if a person forgets how to, you know, do that task or if they get hit by a bus, it's all there. Like we have fantastic standard operating procedures. 
Love it. I love it. That's, yeah, what dreams are made of in, in a business, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. Really proud of us. <laughs> That's great. So what advice would you give an OBM who wants to work side by side with a CEO? Ooh, I think be willing to, even if there's skills that you don't have, just be willing to try it out anyway. So my current assistant slash She's wafted in and out of the OBM role as I've taken on different things, but we've been together for five years or so now. But she came as a recommendation from a friend and I emailed her and I said, hey, I need somebody who can do, who knows this software, this software, this software, this this software. Is that you? And she replied back in the most perfect way possible. And she said, I need to be really clear with you and I don't know these softwares. However, I am so excited to learn and I will study those in my own time. I will not charge you for that time. It would be really good for me to learn those skills. So I promise that I will onboard myself. I will train myself up. And if you are not happy with my progress within, you know, two weeks, that's totally fine. Like we'll just call it quits, but I will like work my butt off to get myself comfortable in those environments. And I'm really good at that kind of stuff. And I was like, yes, queen, come on in. Yeah. And the best way to learn a piece of software is by application. Like, oh, that's how this works in context with everything else. Yeah. I love it. Exactly. Exactly. And just like the willingness to learn and the willingness to go, no, no, I'll just do that on my time because I'm so excited to learn. And also I knew that I would be throwing her just completely headfirst bodily into like new software programs in the future. And, you know, for her to have that kind of like, oh, this is cool. I'll just get into it. That's great. And so what has been the hardest part about growing or running your business? Ooh, hands down for me, having a large team was the most difficult and heartbreaking phase of my business because it's been a business that I have been in love with since day one. It has just felt like this beautiful love relationship between me and my business. And then getting to a point where I wanted to run away from that business, I felt just desperately broken. And I also felt like there was something wrong with me because I didn't know. I I couldn't manage a team that size. I thought, why can other people manage it and not me? You know? No, I mean, when we start out in entrepreneurship, it's we don't go in it to be master delegators of a business mm. because we have a talent or we have an expertise and we love doing that piece. And uh, no, I'm a big believer in like the owner of the business is basically like the lead singer of a band. You should be on stage and you should be writing songs, but you don't need to be, you know, selling the tickets and you don't need to be booking the arenas. You can delegate that to the band manager to take care of all of that stuff for you. Yeah. That's beautiful. I like that analogy. Love it. All right. So what has been the best part about growing your business? Oh, so much. Honestly, like I still can't quite believe my luck that this is what I get to do. Like what a treat. What an absolute treat. I would be doing this even if I wasn't getting paid. This is hilarious. What a I just feel astonished regularly. This is what I get to do. Also, I think just it's been a beautiful thing 
to have to learn and grow and have to expand into the new level. And also like all of the energy work that I've needed to do in order to become this person has been enormous. Like I just don't think I would have had the impetus or the funds to be able to do the amount of work with Hirabogo or Kerry Rowett that I have done and to face so many of my fears, you know, about working through my issues with being born into a codependent family and not having good boundaries and allowing myself to be abused in those ways. And now it just feels like this enormous achievement when I can turn around and say to a parent, I'm actually not going to allow you to treat me like this. This is not love. This is not okay. And I won't be having contact with you until you can improve your behavior. It feels like the greatest win on the planet, honestly. Yeah. So what is next for your dreams and visions and goals for your business? It's more of the same, really. More creating, more sharing, more helping people, more. I'm not a big planner. I don't really plan like my launches for the year or anything like that. It's just wherever the energy takes me. I'm always surprised when I kind of get these messages from the angels like, oh, teacher workshop for this. I'm like, really? Okay, I shall. And, you know, four days later, I'll launch it to the world. I love that. I love that kind of excitement and that rush. And I love that I have people on my team, you know, because I used to pull off this kind of crazy stuff when I worked with neurotypicals and they'd be like, no, that's not on the plan. Like you can't keep changing your mind. But when I work with neurodivergent people, they're like, well, something fun, something new, let's go. I love it. That's great. So how can people learn more about your business and follow you in your journey? Oh, sure. LeoniDawson.com is the place to be. I have a free page just full of free stuff that I've made over the years. I like making a lot of free stuff. So there is stuff on like marketing your business. There's meditations. There is 300-page coloring books. There's posters. There's whatever you like. It's all there. And I'm also on the social medias now. I took two years off, but I'm back and I'm better than ever. So you can just find me. I'm Leonie Dawson on all those platforms. Love it. Well, thank you to everyone for listening. And thank you so much to Leonie for joining me today. If you are a CEO and you would love to help your own OBM level up and level up their own COO leadership skills and strategic management skills, then please reach out for a prospectus of for information on my nine-week digital COO accelerator, either by email or by social media, whichever way is easy for you. And in the meantime, have a productive day.